Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prame, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to your Monday edition. And we've got a lot to go uh, into on this show. Uh, first and foremost, I want to remind you guys, hey, 60% off an annual membership right now. That deal will, is only going to be alive for a couple more days. Uh, make sure you jump in on that right now. 60% off for the, the, the rest for the next year. Uh, and... You get this signing day, you get spring football, you get summer recruiting, you get football season, you get the early signing period, you get the start of the basketball seasons for both men and women, uh, and you almost get all of the lead up to next signing day. Uh, don't know what more you would need to know if you're on the fence of subscribing to DuckTerritory.com. Do it right now. Um, all right, we're going to discuss two commitments over the weekend. We're going to have their final recruiting weekend before – um, National Signing Day on February 2nd, and it produced a couple uh, verbal commitments from some transfers, maybe some players we weren't necessarily 100% certain would happen. Um, two guys that we uh, – there was very little buildup to this coming into the weekend, and yet here we are, Oregon landing um, a transfer kicker, which is a surprise. Um, Andrew Boyle, previously at Washington State. And then Jordan Riley, a defensive tackle, previously from Nebraska, have both joined the Oregon Ducks. The Boyle one is interesting to me because I'm trying to figure out how this fits um, kind of with what you have in place already because Camden Lewis was just voted second team all-conference as a place kicker. He's got, I mean, if he wants, I think, three more years of eligibility based upon the COVID year. Um Maybe this is a, a punter. Maybe I mean, maybe this is a replacement for Tom Snee down the line. I don't know if that's clear. Um, sort of just an interesting special teams addition. I, I'm always curious to kind of see why you make additions like that. Uh, obviously, having you know, I mean, people are still really high on Henry Cattleman, who's with the Ducks as far as we know right now as well. So, sort of an interesting addition to go snag a place kicker. Be curious to see kind of how he fits in in terms of. Maybe he's got a strong enough leg where he can be the kickoff specialist. That was an area Oregon struggled with in mm -hmm. 2021. Uh, um, and maybe maybe they're kind of getting into the minutia of things going, we need to find someone who can, can help us with field position by booting it into the end zone or pinning them deeper. Um, because that was a shortcoming. Lewis was great on extra points. He was great on field goals. Again, it was all-conference second team voted by the coaches. But kickoff stuff, I mean, he wasn't even kicking off in the Alamo Bowl. They turned that over to Will Hutchinson. So that might be part of the angle there. And I think I've seen some sort of uncertainty and maybe some criticism of adding Jordan Riley, the interior lineman from Nebraska, based upon his statistical breakdown. I mean, he hasn't done a ton statistically, wasn't a starter at Nebraska. A couple of thoughts here. Oregon needs size and bodies. It doesn't hurt. Kid's 330 pounds. I mean, that, that that's, that's a large man. And Oregon, I think, has some great interior linemen now, but the future – Maybe this is a play to kind of extend some of that. I don't know. Um, the other part is Tony Toyoti. This is a player he recruited at Nebraska, coached for two years at Nebraska. Um, clearly the player he likes. And, you know, I'm going to just assume and trust that he has a good feel for how this fit works. Because I do think, similar to Boyle, like both of these on paper are a little bit, I don't know, perplexing, a little surprising. Neither position totally felt like a position of need coming into this. Um, and neither player really has the requisite experience where you go like, oh, you had to take that guy. I mean, Boyle, I think, is 0 for 1 on field goals in his career and 
Riley has like 14 career tackles between two different D1 schools. So um, interesting additions. Be curious to hear more from Dan Lanning, who we will get to speak with on Wednesday for signing day. Um, I'd imagine we'll talk a little portal stuff because there's been some movement since we spoke with him last. Um, I don't know. Interesting moves. I think, I don't know, Jared, do you have more to add? I think the Riley one in particular, I'm kind of like, physically you get the size part of it, but the production hasn't been great. And I thought Oregon was pretty short up in the middle. Yeah, I think both of them were interesting moves. Certainly something that I don't think any of us expected in terms of where they hit in the transfer portal. Um, yeah, the Jordan, like, you know, he's 6'6", 310 is his listed weight in Nebraska. That's a big body. Um, I kind of look at that as replacing Jason Jones in terms of just like the pure size factor in this defensive line. Um, yeah, Oregon's defense, the interior on their defensive line is pretty short up with Popo and Brandon Dorless um, and Sam Taimani, which is the transfer from Washington. All those guys are kind of like the same size, same weight, like that 6'2", 6'3", to 300 pounds. Um, this just is a completely different body than I think that Oregon has on the roster. Um, the production certainly hasn't been there. Um, this is, I feel like both of these could be listed under the, um, like the, the confidence in the staff type picks, yeah. like, because I can't justify either of them. Um, you just kind of have to, you know, hope and trust the staff and what they saw on tape uh, with Tuioti and how he coached him at Nebraska. Maybe he saw something there. Uh, I do know Nebraska's defensive line was pretty good this past season and has a lot of guys on there. So maybe that was an issue where he just wasn't going to get playing time in general. But he's coming to Oregon where the interior defensive line is is pretty stacked as well. So I don't really know um, for Boyle, the, uh, the place kicker. I think he's really honestly just going to be a kickoff specialist. Um, that was his brief role at Washington State last year. Uh, seven total kickoffs, four of them were touchbacks. Um, it's been talked about a lot on this podcast in terms of the special teams disasters at points with Oregon's uh, kickoff specialist or kickoff team. And, you know, kicking the ball through the end zone eliminates that. And so maybe that's what Oregon is going after here. I think that's why Will Hutchinson, like you mentioned, Eric, was the kickoff specialist in the Alamo Bowl. Um, it's interesting because Boyle is also a full scholarship guy. So that's another scholarship essentially it, it will use. I was going to say down the drain, but that's pretty mean. Um, it's another one that's being used right now. And, you know, this like I, that, was in, that was surprising to me because – Oregon doesn't have a lot of scholarships to kind of just use right now to kind of move around and not and to use one on a a kickoff specialist is is perplexing. Um, he certainly has the boot. If you go through his Twitter, you know he's got a, him kicking a seventy-two yard field goal, which is great. It shows off his leg strength, but it's you know there's nobody else around in the, in, in the stadium. It's just on a field. Um, and he certainly has the leg power to do it. This is just, I think both of these moves are a, um, the staff asking you to trust them and what they're looking at and what they've seen and what they've looked at on film and all that good stuff, who they've talked to. Uh, I mean, unless they're expecting some attrition, which we may learn about in the couple, in the next couple of days, um, who knows? It just certainly wasn't the names you expected to pop up in terms of uh, committing to Oregon after this weekend and, and who they brought on the campus. I think Jordan Riley's addition is 
makes I'm a, I'm the opposite. I think it makes 100% sense. Um, and it is worth taking and, and, and doing if I'm Dan Lanning in Oregon because they they don't have a guy on this team that's besides Popo <clears throat> that's this big. Um, and so now you have two of them. It kind of replaces the Jason Jones uh, role. And secondly, Jordan Riley will be gone after the 2022 football season. He will have graduated. He will have zero years of eligibility left. And so basically I think this is, hey, do we want to go out and do we want to add a fringe Pac-12 caliber player that we'll have on our roster for three to five years because we personally can't push him out. Um, We can over-recruit him, but it's not guaranteed he's going to leave. Uh, and and we're not sure if this player is going to even be good enough for this level. Um, or we could go find somebody that, that can give us 10 snaps a game. And while he's not going to be a superstar player, he can at least give us some depth. He can give us some solid production when we need it. And we'll save that scholarship and roll it over into 2023 where we can go out and land a bigger name from the high school ranks instead of in 2022. So I, I think this, this is – this is the Jason Caliste. Um, that's maybe not the best uh, example. Um, uh, Mikhail McIntosh, um, Eric. Who is the the post that Oregon brought in? Is it Hose, is it Hosendove? Um, yeah. From the women's team, like th- this is that, but for football, where you're going in and you're finding a player that's that's going to have one year of eligibility. They're going to play ten to fifteen minutes. If an injury pops up, you've got an experienced player ready to fill in and then you roll the scholarship over one more year. Like this, there's zero risk in my eyes for Jordan Riley. Um, the Boyle one though, like you guys have said is interesting because Cam is legit was, was good in 2021 outside of two games against Utah. Um, he was really good. And, but like Eric mentioned, the kicking thing. And, and I do think um, Washington State also had him as a punter too. So maybe this is some insurance if Tom Snee uh, elects to go pro after this coming season, which I think could be a real possibility because he's pretty good and he would be a sixth-year senior um, in 2023. And maybe he just doesn't want to do the college grind again uh, of college athletics for a sixth year. I think that's something that a lot of people don't kind of factor in here. So, so maybe the, maybe the boil one is, is a, is a safety net in case Tom Snead goes pro and it, maybe even Camden Lewis would fit that notion for 2023. I, I don't know, but it, that one's the, the one for me where it feels a little more perplexing that they would do this, but Certainly, they've got our reasons for it, and they've got two elite special teams coaches on this roster that know what they're doing and felt like they needed to add another kicker. So I'm going to go out of order here with the questions because this next one kind of fits the topic we're discussing right now, and it's from KG Amlin. When a team signs more recruits or transfers than spots available, it is said that it is because of expected attrition and spots that will open up. However, is that, quote, forced attrition or, quote, hopeful attrition, hashtag odds and audibles, um, I, I thought we'd go here because we were just talking about some of the scholarship math Oregon has to deal with and kind of trying to figure out how some of this works. Um, I think forced is a really strong term, yeah. but it's more like 
a discussion is had about potential playing time and kind of what's best for both parties. It's like almost a mutual separation kind of thing. If you want to use a dating analogy, I guess, where both parties kind of recognize like, hey, we can we can stick it out, but you're probably not going to enjoy it as much as you would like because you might not play very much. And if you go somewhere else, maybe you'd have a better opportunity. And for mm-hmm. us, I, mean, I don't think they're going to force is you don't you can't cancel scholarships. You can't just tell a kid you don't have a scholarship. Get mm-hmm. out. That's not how this works. But there are I'm certainly you know conversations behind the scenes kind of about viability of playing time, um, about fit. You know, schematically, you're looking at new coaches that come in and maybe they see a player who was a good fit with the previous staff, but maybe not as good of a fit with the current kind of idea of how they want to approach things on either side of the ball. Um, so I and I so I think it's in between forced and hopeful. Um, forced is too strong. Hopeful is like suggesting there's no conversations had and they're just kind of crossing fingers like, oh, I hope. I hope, uh, you know, I hope somebody leaves at this position group because what <laughs> could we use another body at a different group? I don't think that's not how it works either. Um, but unless you guys disagree, like I, I don't think Dan Lanning has sat down with any of the players who've left the program and been like, hey, sorry, man, like you're, you're, you don't have a spot here. It's I think more nuanced than that. It's hey, you know, we're, if we're being realistic, you're fourth or fifth on the depth chart. You want to stick it out and try to improve that spot that's great but that's kind of where things are at you know quote unquote so um and and, and maybe it's not even that forceful because you're talking about a staff that's coming in now um without having seen these players in practice and being able to make those assessments so maybe it's a little bit less hands-on in terms of where they are on the depth chart kind of playing time related and, and maybe just fit in other ways but yeah I, it's between forced and hopeful yeah, definitely between force and hopeful. I don't, I don't I'm, I'm sure that the force transfers have happened at some point over the country and over at other sure. schools. I mean, that it, I'm sure it happens. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think it's you know pretty slimy to kind of force somebody out, but it happens. But these are, these are just situations where, you know, I'm sure Lanning and, or whoever the position coach is, is just as Eric talked about, or they kind of say, ah, oh, you know, you're, you know, way down in the depth chart, you've got a lot of guys in your position coming through. Um, you can stick it out and ride the pine all year and work hard and maybe get six snaps in an entire season, or you can transfer to Western Kentucky or something like that and get a chance to go play. And um, I think a lot of kids will would, would choose that. A lot of players would go out and, and choose the, the path to where they can play the most just because why, why wouldn't you? Um, yeah, this is like, you know, when you play sports, you know, your whole goal is to go and try to play as much as you can. And just because either a, you want to get yourself shown when you hit the collegiate level, or you just want to go have fun when you're playing at a different level yeah. in sports when you're younger. And so, um, and, and nowadays it's a little different in terms of, of the transfer portal where there's, um, there can be, uh, financial implications as well. It's like, if I go, I'm an out-of-state recruit and I go back home and my local sandwich shop is going to give me a couple grand to go and, uh, you know, advertise their sandwiches and I can't, I don't get anything out here, you know, that, that might be an implication or something like that. But I, I agree with you, Eric, for the, for the, the people who, the players who have transferred out of Oregon uh, so far this season, I don't think any of them were forced. Um, I don't think Dan Lanning or their position coach had a conversation really where they're like, well, you're pretty down on the depth charts. You might want to get out of here. 
Uh, I think those were all um, looking for the best in their own right. Um, maybe somebody like Robbie Ashford took it where he's really down on the depth chart because they bring in Bo Nix and they still return Ty and Butterfield. Um, but even still, like he had a, he had the chance to to showcase himself and go and try to become somebody who can compete with a starter. Um, but that opportunity is significantly tougher here at Oregon than it is at Auburn. Um, and so he made the, the personal decision to go do that. And he made the personal decision to go back home to Alabama. Um, I think there's a whole lot of, uh, a whole lot of details that go into everybody's transfer. Um, I don't think it's as simple as, ah, well, I don't really like it here. I'm out. It can be, but I think more often than not, it's, it's a pretty tough decision. Um, and you know, you look at Oregon's transfers and, um, some of them have certainly caused some issues within the fan base. Um, at the end of the day, I think every player just does what's best for them. And whether that's playing time, whether that's moving back home, uh, I, I don't see any problems with it. That's it, just how it is. And I don't think Oregon staff is, is hopeful that anybody transfers because you're just losing talent when you get to Oregon's level. Um, sure, I think there are moments where they, they think that it could be nice if they didn't have um, – you know, X amount of players at what position, but, you know, you work with what you have. You can't really force them to go. Uh, you can develop them and then turn them into something before another school does. And I think that's what Oregon's going to try to do. Yeah. It's, it's a case where it never really happens this way. Like it, maybe in the South and the SEC, when the NCAA did allow one year scholarships, that did happen where it was, hey, we're not, we're choosing not to renew your scholarship. You're going to have to go somewhere else. But uh, that does not happen anymore. Um, but I, I think it's pretty clear, like, when the coaching staff sits down with a player and says, hey, like, we love you as a person. We, we really appreciate everything you've given to this program. Um, but it's just not clicking. And we're bringing in some guys and we're just being real with you because we think you want the truth. It's a hard time for you to, to play here and you're welcome to stay. You're, you know, you're, you're a model citizen. You're, you're a good student. You represent the program well, but you're just not going to play. And if that's okay with you, that's okay with us. But if you want to play, it's not going to be here. We'll help you find somewhere else to go. That's usually how those conversations happen when Oregon oversigns or when any school oversigns. And mm -hmm. typically the athlete, because any, any athlete will want, will know they want to play. And when it becomes clear that they're not going to see the field at all and they're running out of time, they're going to find somewhere else. And things kind of just figure themselves out. Next one here from at Nash underscore Duckaneer, where we were supposed to start the show, but I decided to re, uh, to re, I guess, shuffle the deck. Um, out of all the football recruits that were visiting Eugene over the weekend, which ones do you see as the most likely to sign with Oregon in the future? And he writes in parentheses on Wednesday and beyond. Hashtag odds and audibles. Thanks for using the hashtag, by the way. I believe perfect five for five for this show with using the hashtag. So um, love to see that. Makes it easier for me. And, and actually, some of these I did pull from prior prompts um so having the hashtag made it easier to find that so if you do want your questions uh read on the show and answered that's the best way to get it uh i guess to reach us um matt i'm gonna throw it more to you here just because your focus is recruiting we talked on 
gosh, it was Friday's show about the visitors. I think we've explained who's here. We're talking about signing on Wednesday first, maybe, and then maybe we can get in. I think the second part's hard if we're talking and beyond. Um, we're talking about mm -hmm. 23 and 24 kids who are just starting their recruitment. But I think we have a pretty good idea of over the next 48 hours, which guys were here we expect to sign. We should note a lot of the players that already signed with Oregon were also here, so they've already signed. But who are some names that you're you're pretty confident? Well, I think I'm pretty confident with Jaleel Florence, who, depending upon when you listen to this show, <laughs> will have made his decision. Um, I think it's going to be Oregon. Uh, I would be pretty shocked if it's not Oregon. Um, he was here this weekend. Uh, I think Amarion Winston's probably another one that's probably trending towards Oregon's way. Um, the last two that you that we have on campus for official visits in 2022, Wireless Boardingham and Dave Ilui. Um, I think both of these could go either way. Boardingham to Florida, um, if it's not Oregon. Ilui to Miami, if it's not Oregon. But I mentioned it on the site over the weekend. Um, distance from home, like typically these are deals where towards the end of the year, towards the end of the stretch run, distance from home kind of catches up and nips one or two off Oregon's um, projected board. This might be a, you know, the opposite for Oregon. It might, it might help Oregon land one of, or both of these guys, you know, as, Hey, do you really want to sign somewhere 3000 miles away and go and play football somewhere so far away? Now for, for Luli, he's committed to the Miami staff previously when they were at Oregon. So there is that familiarity with the coaches at least, but, um, we'll see what happens with those two. I'm not definitive one way or the other. Uh, you know, I said going into the weekend that Oregon was probably having to make up some ground. They certainly have done that. And it's now kind of a any man's game type of a deal between uh, those two recruits. Beyond that, um, I, I think Oregon is in a really, really good place with Miles Lockhart, a 2024 um, athlete out of Arizona. Um, Jackson Bowers, a 2023 tight end, has told me that Oregon is definitely going to be one of the schools that he seriously considers down the road for possible commitments and it lives up to expectations. Um, and then, you know, I, I don't know how you, if you were on social media and you were watching Nico's uh, dad, five-star quarterback, if you were watching his dad on social media, that family was in heaven at Oregon this weekend. They were here three days. They, I think they literally were on campus with the, with the coaches like until there was a minute left of the, of the live period, and they left. You know, they literally <laughs> every second that was available to them um, to be with the staff. And while I'm not saying they're going to land them, top five player in the country, they certainly set the bar high for anyone else to come out and, and try and, and impress him. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I think the thing that works in Oregon's favor there is USC is probably Oregon's biggest competition for a quarterback recruit, and they've already got theirs. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And in Southern California, USC is really hard to pull top players, but especially quarterbacks. You go through their history. I know um, it's it's like every year they've got yeah. two or three five stars at quarterback. And um, I think Nico's not going to go to USC. And if that's the case and he stays out West, Oregon certainly gave him a lot and his family a lot to think about this last weekend. I'll put it that way. Like Matt, I'm not going to sit here and say I expect him to sign, which is why I was kind of like, I don't know if we want to do beyond because it's so early, but you have to feel good, as Matt said, if you kind of if you've been through social. I mean, this was a fun weekend, by the way. I'll just say yeah. a digression. Just on social media, you got a really I get pretty good feel for Dan Lane. I know it's like pretty pre- preliminary, but like there was some really fun content being thrown out there, whether it be videos or photos and kind of what they were doing behind the scenes. Um, unique that I mean, social media. I think there's some pros and cons. We don't have to get into the cons, but the, one of the pros this last weekend was just as people who don't or never been a part of a recruiting process, right? Like I can't speak for you two, but I was never recruited to play college. <laughs> um, Jared, you were a little bit for college baseball. We should know uh, a little bit, right? This, so yeah, you, like very little. So maybe uh, you understand it a little bit better, but it, it was no, fun to kind of no, not see. At all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, compared Jared, to work, no, no, recruits, no. no, 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 not at all. Okay. Jared was not recruited. He was terrible at baseball. Shame on just me. for Yeah. But my point was that I was getting, it was just like, it, it, it was fun kind of seeing how some of this comes together, kind of the events you attend, um, how you spend your time and seeing a lot of it documented by tons of recruits who are here yes. um, from all over the country. I, I came away kind of being like, this was the first opportunity for us to really kind of see, I know we're not getting the whole picture, but get a decent picture of what Dan Lanning at work looks like. And I came away really impressed Obviously, again, it's it's very much surface information. We're seeing photos, brief videos. He did speak at um, the men's basketball game on Saturday night. Uh, by the way, announced the spring game, April 23rd, 1 p.m. Be there. That was his message. But I, I, I think just in general with Lanning, just some of the stuff on social um, and, and the rest of the staff, too, I, I think can't think you – it's hard to come away feeling anything but kind of optimism for the way he seems to approach things on the recruiting trail. Yeah, I'll just touch on what Eric is going off right there. Um, it's yeah, really hard to not be optimistic in terms of how Lanning and the staff goes. Um, you know, last week they brought in a bunch of recruits as well, a lot of high-profile guys. Um, talked to a few of them, and they just you know were really glowing about the review. Um, they t- talked about how Lanning and staff made everything personal. Um, it never felt like they were just you know whoever it was I was talking to. It never just felt like they were just part of the group. It was whatever, like, hey, thanks for coming. We're glad you're here. It was like, um, whether it was a position coach, head coach and landing, or just an offensive analyst, something, someone like that, you know, they made every recruit seem special, uh, feel special, get get treatment just like they would for, um, just like they would in, the, in this time around too, this weekend. Um, yeah, it's super optimistic to see you know, how Lanning is going about this and how the rest of the staff is going about this. It's also very optimistic to see the types of players that they have gotten on campus um, this early in the stage. 
this early in the stage in their tenures at Oregon. Um, to get Nico Amawavai, it's definitely not how you say it, but you know we're going to try uh, to get him a top five kid or top ten kid um, into into the discussion this early and get him on campus, uh, get him to meet with Kenny Dillingham, and um, that's impressive. That's really important in terms of going forward. And and you know, we've talked about this on this podcast before, but um, getting a big time quarterback to commit early in your class kind of helps shape the rest of that class. And again, not saying they're going to get Nico or anything like that, but um, the fact that they're going after those big fish is really important. Um, and the kid out of Southern California too, just like Eric was mentioning and how USC um, usually controls that area of the world in terms of quarterback production. It will be interesting to see what they do. Slight digression. It will be interesting to see what they do with their quarterback commits in the next couple of years. If you know, if Caleb Williams comes to town, because he'll be there another two years, because he was just a freshman last year at Oklahoma. Yeah. So that's a lot of time for somebody to wait behind him. Um, you kind of saw that with Justin Fields at Georgia, even though I think it was just a year. I don't remember off the top of my head, but uh, I digress again. Um, in terms of who could be signing on Wednesday, um, you know, I heard Matt talk about how he feels confident in Julia Florence. Um, Jordan James has been uh, running back out of Tennessee. Current Georgia commit has been trending to, to Oregon in the, in the 24-7 sports crystal ball category. Um, he's a name to watch. He's, he would be pretty important considering that Oregon you know, loses Travis Dye and Trey Benson to the portal. Um, don't get Jared Broussard, who ends up committing to Michigan State over the weekend. Um, running back depth will be really important, and a player of his caliber will certainly come in and help. Um, Marion Winston would be fun, uh, former Oregon commit. Um, Lamar Winston's younger brother, he's been an Oregon commit for a very long time. Um, he was uh, – he's certainly still in contact with all the Oregon coaches. I believe he was there this past weekend. Uh, Trajan Williams is a guy who hasn't signed but is so committed to Oregon. Um, I think that should be somebody to look forward to or look for in terms of signing day potential. I think it'll turn out to be a good signing day for Oregon, especially considering where they were and where they have come up from. Um, obviously, it won't be as exciting as it might have been in the middle of September in terms of uh, potential, but that's just kind of what happens. I mean, we've talked about that a lot on this podcast before. This is um, with their backs against the wall and very little time. You know, Oregon's new staff has been able to, you know, bring some big names and big names into the fold in terms of who they sign. So, and we'll, you know, we'll have more about that on, on later, even just today in Julio Florence's commitment. And I want to note just really quickly talking ceiling with the signing class because I did a story last weekend about it. Um, even though it's a class that will be 14 to 16 players, it still projects to be somewhere in like the 25 to 40 range from a national rankings perspective. So obviously not top 10, top 12, which was a streak Oregon was on recently under Mara Cristobal uh, um, of just kind of signing a top 10, top 12 class. You'll see that broken this year, but on a by commitment by signee perspective, it's still a very respectable class. If you sign roughly half the number of recruits that some schools are are going to sign when this is all said and done, and you're still kind of in that fringe 
borderline top 25. They'll probably be outside the top 25, but somewhere in the, you know, high 20s to high 30 range, depending on how all this plays out. Um, all right, next one from at Prince Puddles. What programs, if any, will Dan Lanning continue with Oregon, such as the SNL camp, fourth quarter fitness program, multiple jersey combos, all of which seem to yield lots of success in the past? And they also asked, what kind of new things could we maybe see him bring from Georgia? And he finished with hashtag ads and audibles. So appreciate that. Um, well, he'll, pr- he'll pronounce the word program differently. That's one thing from bring <laughs> program. 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 Uh, which I think uh, was already, by the way, on uh, on ESPN's broadcast when Dan Lanning came and spoke quite briefly with the uh, ESPN crew, the whiteboard from the pit crew behind him was simply yeah. program. <laughs> that was I, fantastic. Yeah, I love that that's already kind of being uh, kind of a definitive, like defining characteristic of, of Dan. Um, that's kind of a, a joke there, but also true. Uh, I'll get to the first part um, before we jump to the Georgia stuff. Uh, SNL camp, I expect... Like I think all the next, all the things he brought up here that Prince brought up, I think are things that'll continue, but just maybe under different names. Um, I expect they will have some sort of summer show, showcase. This is, by the way, not only a thing Oregon has done. Other schools have done, quote unquote, something similar to an SNL camp for years. Oregon didn't even innovate that. Willie Taggart brought that from the Southeast to Eugene. Um, so I expect we'll see some sort of summer camp where you have a bunch of top recruits come out and get them on campus and, I think that'll be a thing that continues probably under a different name or maybe for continuity sake, maybe Dan says, Hey, let's keep the name. Cause it was a thing people knew. I don't know if it's that big of a deal. Uh, fourth quarter program. Like, yeah, they're going to keep working out. I think they're going to keep doing <laughs> conditioning during the summer. I, um, the name will certainly be different. Uh, we'll leave that to Wilson love, but I, I don't anticipate you move away at all from that. And I'm guessing the retention of Mark Davis and Shad Williams, two previous assistant strength and conditioning coaches um, will play a role in terms of some continuity between the previous program to this one with obviously some adjustments made um, by the new, you know, the new hires, you have a new head strength coach. So I don't think you're seeing that go away. Obviously um, clearly you're going to continue to work out. It'd be, disastrous if it showed yeah actually wilson love hasn't been doing any strength conditioning <laughs> no. the whole summer just just talking football and playing Madden, and here we are we're ready uh, no they'll, they'll, and i know i'm being a little bit i'm not trying to be reductive to the question but i just sort of a, a humorous i guess flip on that um and then the multiple jersey combos that's like i think that's ingrained in oregon's culture that preceded mario cristobal that preceded his predecessors um oregon's been doing multiple jerseys for since I was in what, Matt, like we're middle school, high school, multiple jerseys have been going on. I mean, I think this isn't going away. Um, I would, in fact, I'd be surprised. I mean, every time you have a kid come on campus, they talk about how fun the jersey photo shoot was. And in part, that's because you've got, you know, eight different lids and five different. I don't know. I don't even know how many combos there are at this point, but you've got different combinations. So I think mm-hmm. those will all stay the same, As although as those listening know, I am not a jersey head, so I don't know details of any of the jersey stuff. Um, There's too many to keep track of, but uh, I think, Eric, correct me if I'm wrong. This is a little bit down the tangent here, but I think the first game in which Oregon broke out, like, the different colored uniform um, away from their traditional greens at home, white on the road, um, I think it was the yellow uniforms in 2002 when they opened the year at Mississippi State on ESPN. I think that's at least my recollection. Um, that, that sounds really 
right to me. And that's 20 years ago, which is kind of absurd to say. <laughs> I just remember that game. Um, it was I one of which, right. like, or maybe it wasn't 2002, because that was at that they played Mississippi State at home that year. Maybe it was 2003. I'm trying, I just Googled it. Um, I, I really, I really want to see. Like, yeah, I'm looking at the highlights of that game, and Oregon is wearing all yellow. I don't know if they wore yellow in 2022 or not, but they may have because that was a new uniform. That was a year where they broke out new uniforms. But I think you're right. It's been almost 20 years since they've done it. That's not changing. That's who Oregon is. That like their tradition yep. is is not having ties to a tradition and always changing things up yeah anything else from the previous stuff we were talking about i mean i think we agree that fourth quarter obviously sticks around under a different name and yeah. i think we even mentioned snl camp is something we expect will take place but probably probably under a different name too right yeah i'd hope yeah, so I, like the the fourth quarter program is an alabama thing that fell yeah. brought from alabama originally um or Christopher wanted to bring from alabama uh, Wilson loved coach to Alabama too, um, so just as Feld did. So it might come with a different name, but the genesis and and the foundation of it will be very similar. Yeah, I, I would be stunned if any of these things went away, um, especially something like the fourth quarter program, which is honestly really instrumentally changed how Oregon has performed in the last couple of years compared to where they were like with Willie Taggart and, and Helfrich, just a completely different way of shaping players' bodies. And um, it's clearly paid a lot of dividends. I know there was a lot of heat this year with Aaron Feld and all the injuries, but guess what? That wasn't because of the fourth quarter program because it would happen every single year at Alabama or Georgia, whoever else has, has adopted that weightlifting strategy. Um, I pray to God they change Saturday Night Live in the name. Uh, but other than that, I think that they will certainly continue to have an event like this. That's um, something that teams do across the country. Um, it's a surefire way to potentially land some recruits. It's a surefire way to get some people thinking about Oregon. It's a surefire way to get players who are two or the three years down the road to think about Oregon. I mean, I still remember in 2019, um, Dante Thornton Jr. coming to, to Oregon Saturday Night Live and just being an absolute stud. And everybody was kind of like, who's that kid in the orange cleats? And he was a beast. And here we are a couple of years down the road. He's on the Ducks. That's why you have those camps. Um, jerseys, duh. I, this is Oregon. I, this, is, it's, this is what they do. Um, you know, it's not the best thing for a program to be known for just their jerseys and what they wear on the field if they don't actually perform. However, it has helped them in the past. It will continue to help them. Uh, and I would expect, here's my hot take, I would expect many more jersey all, like combinations and, and all that stuff for this next year. Because seemingly Mario put the kibosh on yes. how often Oregon would have a jersey that doesn't include green green or yellow as the primary color. Um, I think Lanning and the younger staff might have a little bit more fun with it. Um, granted, I don't know how many, how much the coaches actually have a say in what the jerseys look like, but I do remember something about Mario saying like, oh, we're going to do more traditional colors this year. And then that was it. It was uh, just green and yellow the entire time, which is fine. I don't have any problems with that. And the ice or the stormtrooper look whenever they're on the road. 
but um yeah I, that's not it's not hap- that's not changing it's just going to be oregon's tradition until i don't know when until we probably you know we'll be talking about this much longer jared that wasn't the most hot takeish thing you said there in that discussion your hot what take was, was- you don't you don't like Saturday Night Live? You don't like the no, name? I think it's stupid. It's the middle of July. They can't call it something else. They couldn't be original and come up with anything. They had to call it Saturday Night Live. I mean, think of all the other options. I'm not totally disagreeing with you. Um, <laughs> the only good thing is I get to make my my, my Twitter joke where it's like we're live. It's you know Saturday night we're live and some stupid thing like that, and I get reprimanded on Twitter for it. But still worth it. Um, in terms of additions, this is such a small thing, but I brought this up a couple of days ago, and I I, I don't know if it's like even all that much worth re- re- uh, bringing up, but I'm going to because why not? Um, I've noticed just a change in in graphics. And then this isn't necessarily brought yeah. from Georgia, but yeah. I, I mentioned this a couple of days ago. Like the, when when like this, this, the Oregon football Twitter account has sent out happy birthday wishes. It's such a small thing. I noticed that they've been using the the Nike Just Do It logo, and I think because of NIL, I think Oregon needs to embrace being Nike U a little bit. And I think you're starting to see that. And I don't necessarily yeah. know what. I'm not sure how involved Dan has been in this. I will say I know from talking with people that Marcus Fall was quite involved with graphics. I think he basically required final say before anything was sent out through social media. I don't know if landing will have as much involvement there. I wouldn't be surprised. I'd be surprised. I think it's probably like more like a Marshall Malkow is going to be more involved in that kind of thing. Um, but I, I bring that up because I, I do think because of NIL and because of Oregon's obvious relationship with the largest, you know, sports apparel <laughs> outfitter in the world, that there is a lot of benefits to that relationship. And even if it's as simple as including it on a graphic on social media, I think there's value to that. Um, but that's a really small thing. And I don't know if I have much more in terms of what he'll, he'll bring from Georgia um, as a, opposed from kind of like, I guess, big picture kind of, um, you know, I don't know, I guess philosoph- philosophical things that he's brought from Georgia and Alabama, which I, I don't know if it's, if that's even that specific to, to bring up. Do you guys have anything else from Georgia specifically? I, I couldn't really think of anything. No. no. Like, I don't know. The band learns a new song, but, you know, I can feel a little at home for Dan. <laughs> he will bring a better understanding of the Bulldog offense and defense when they play them uh, to start the 2022 season. So there's another thing, but I don't know if this culturally I could point to, like, hey, here's a thing that I think is coming. Um, all right, we've got a couple more here from – at Robbie Parness, the O-line is deep this year, but with almost every starter leaving after the season, how do you feel about the depth for the future? Will this be an important position to recruit for this upcoming cycle, or do we think of all the replacements already being on the roster? Hashtag Austin Audibles. Um, I thought a good question. We haven't really talked offensive line much because as he's established here, we've kind of been able to say, oh, they're set. They bring all their starters back. We think it's a good group. It's a con- it's a lot of continuity. There's like no turnover really besides George Moore not being here for the first time since I think Obama was president. Um, but, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's one of those things where I don't think we've talked a lot about the offensive line big picture. And I think, we'd, I think it's worth having a, a quick discussion now on it. Um, I do think the 2023 cycle, I think 2022, if Josh Connerly is a player, you can, you yeah. can add would be massive um, mm-hmm. because I do think 
with the exception of like Jackson Powers Johnson and Dawson Jaramillo, none of the players that we expect to be on the 2023 roster have really played much. And I think you can pencil in those two as starters in 2023. I think they'll both play a lot in 22. But outside of that, it's kind of hard. I mean, none of these guys have played a ton. Um, you know, I think we heard a lot of positive things from the from the previous staff about like a Jonathan Dennis or a Marcus Harper or uh, I think Jalen Jeffers was a player who was really coming on late last season and, and kind of yeah. forced his way up as one of the top backup tackles. But like none of those guys really played and there were injuries for Dennis missed the whole year. And I think Harper had something as well. So it's I actually do think this is a position of of need and I wouldn't be totally stunned to see them really prioritize it this class. And I think Adrian Clem, by all accounts, really good recruiter. It's going to be a big year for him in 23. It'd be huge for him to finish 22 by Landon Connerly, by the way. I mean, that would be about as good as it gets. Um, and I saw someone post this on the message board, kind of interesting, just like if Jim Harbaugh does leave Michigan, Michigan's considered a favorite, one of the favorites for Connerly. Maybe that opens the door more for, for Oregon. But no, I think this is a, a priority, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's a position you see addressed as well through the portal going into the 23 season. I think you're obviously set now. I don't think it's with your scholarship math we talked about earlier. I don't think there's any value of of going and adding a portal player for 2022 unless that player is just awesome. But for 23 and beyond, like, yeah, I think off the top of my head, it's like I feel like I know who maybe two starters for 23 are, but the rest of it is is pretty unproven to me. I think you could make a an argument that they should probably hit the portal or – at least one junior college guy for the 2023 class yeah, along fair. the yeah. line. Mm-hmm. Like try and find a, an older player who can be ready to go from a physical standpoint because football is a developmental sport and the offensive line is a developmental sport, a position where you need multiple years to get in. I think Dawson Jaramillo is a prime example of that where I feel like his first two or three years at Oregon – we looked at him and, and didn't think he would play. And then this year it was a case of he needs to play more. He needs to play way more than what he got on the field because he was that impactful. Um, and not every guy's like that. Obviously, Penne, Tyrell Crosby, you know, those guys have shown up. Shane Lemieux has shown up and and been you know a starter since day one. That happens. But it's there's both sides. And so I, I think you could argue. Clem and Lanning and Dillingham should go and get a, a transfer or two, whether that's Juco or transfer portal and, and have them and, and guys that have two years or more of eligibility. That's where I think it's really important, not just a one year stopgap, but a guy that you can go in and say, Hey, he's going to be a two year starter. Um, I think the impact of Josh Connerly could change the entire scope of the 2023 outlook. If he signs with Oregon in March if he does, I think you look at it and say, wow, you've you've got a centerpiece of um, Dawson, Jackson Powers Johnson, and Connerly going into 2023. That That's uh, a drastic difference in, in, in just one extra person there. Yeah, offensive line depth is always huge. Um, it's something that we basically haven't worried about in the last couple of years with Mario Cristobal and Alex Mirabal. It's just kind of like, yeah, well, they'll – Figure it out. That's their thing. That's their bread and butter. They're going to get a good offensive line recruit and happens every year. Um, whether those panned out, they didn't. So happens. But they still loaded up Oregon's depth. And you can look at the depth right now, and you would have a second starting five 
uh, with just with their depth. You have Bram Walden, Jalen Jeffers as tackles. You can do Harper, Powers Johnson, Jonathan Dennis, Dawson. You have depth that's there. However, like Eric mentioned, most of these guys are unproven. They haven't played at all. And so for Adrian Clem and this new staff, you know, getting offensive line depth is incredibly important because it's easy for one to two guys to go down on the offensive line. You saw that this entire past season where, you know, um, let's call it Alex Forsythe, Jake Hansen. Matt, Matt screwed me up with the Shane Lemieux reference right there. Uh, <laughs> you know, Forsythe goes down for, for weeks and Ryan Watt just slides right in, does fine. No issues there. You you move or you shuffle around the rotation. You go to TJ Bass, the left tackle, and the offense does it flourishes really in the ground attack. Um, but I think it's a position where you always need to have depth because the probability of injuries is just way too high for offensive linemen. Um, and with the depth that they have right now is really great because they get another year of learning from a couple multi-year starters on the offensive line. Um, when it comes to game time situations, I think they need to get, like Matt was saying, a Juco guy where he could be an immediate plug and play dude, or he could sit a year and still has another year of eligibility. Um, so yeah, the 2023 class is going to be really imperative for Adrian Clem to really, I don't know, earn his, earn his paycheck and go out and recruit a bunch of these offensive linemen that, that, are, that come through the, the West Coast um, basically every year. Uh, Connerly is an interesting one too. We have no idea. Uh, he's he's waiting until was it March, May, until he's signing uh, after the national signing day period. He's pulling a JT JTT in the last last cycle. Another kid out of Seattle, Washington, who can't make a decision before the timeline. Um, so I think that's kind of funny. But with Harbaugh, um, that does open up the door for Oregon if he chooses to go coach in the NFL again. Uh, he had an interview with the Vikings, or at least they requested to interview him this past weekend. Um, that also opens the door for Washington to come in because if he's not going to Michigan, he's probably going to stay on the West Coast. And that also opens the door for USC to come to come in and try to get his talent. So it's surely not a, a, a sure thing that if Harbaugh were to leave, he would come to Oregon. Um, I think they have a good chance. I also think Washington has a good chance. It's hometown school. Uh, I think USC has a good chance. But uh, building offensive line depth from here on out is really important. Um, it always will be, I think, in, in, in football. I think you build through the trenches first, then you go find everybody else. I think it's harder to find elite trench talent than it is anywhere else. Yeah. I will be interested to see what this new cat coaching staff's bread and butter is. I mentioned that Mario Cristobal and Alex Mirabal, that their bread and butter, offensive line, I always got those guys. I'm not sure what it will be for this staff. Um, I, you know, just <laughs> – Basics, I'd say defensive line or outside linebacker type guys with Lanning and Tosh Lupoy. Uh, Kenny Dillingham seems to have quite a you know, way of words around quarterbacks. So that might be something that they that Oregon performs well on. Um, it'll all just be kind of fun. But, yeah, to answer the question, um, build up your offensive line depth. That's all. You, uh, you took my tangent I was going to go off on about identity of the program and how that was shifting. So good on you. I, I was thinking the exact yeah. same thing. About, about, no, we, we haven't really uh, had to address that, but you kind of think about it of like, yeah, under Mario, you just kind of figured the O-line was going to be good. It was going to be fine. And, and yeah. I'm not saying. Every year, just uh, it's going to be fine. No worries. Kind of, 
pencil them in as being one of the better groups and, and move on. And, and I'm not saying that's going to be totally different under Clem, but it's a, it's a different identity from a staff perspective when you have a, a defensive coach as opposed to a one of the more accomplished offensive line coaches in the country. Are we going to finish it up here with a question from one of my favorite question askers, and that's um, at Duck for Quacks. Um, he asks with the – he's got a two-part question because, of course, um, he has the <laughs> women's basketball – and men's basketball turning the corner, becoming likelier tournament teams. Which team do you think will make it further? And then one for Matt. Also, Matt, how close will you be following the construction of the new Jake complex? And he uses two hashtags. First, he uses hashtag Ots and Audibles, and then he plays We're going to adopt this one here. We're going to use this. Okay. Golfs and golfables is the No offense. It's so bad. It's awesome. It, it, no, it's exactly what it is. Like I, I read it three times of like, okay, that's something I would never have thought of, but it's like kind of, <laughs> kind of perfect. So, um, and as, as Matt and Jared are big golfers, I, by the way, I'm going to start trying to become a little bit of a golfer here in the next couple of weeks. Um, to join this, them up on the potentially link. Potentially this week we'll have uh, we'll have all the updates on uh, Oregon Ducks <laughs> at 24-7 Sports on our YouTube page. So uh, everybody critique Eric's swing, please. No, please don't. I, I do not golf. Um, <laughs> to the first part, and then we'll jump into some golf talk for Matt to close. Because <laughs> uh, we know that's that's a big We have to include Jared in this discussion. Jared is as much of a golfer as I am. That's true. You guys can oh, talk. Yeah. You guys can be – you can have your own spinoff <laughs> golf, golf and gossip <laughs> podcast. Um, I, I think right now the women's team are going to have a better seed, so I would yes. pick them. I mean, they're going to be – they're currently the kind of in the three to four seed range, and, and I think the men are – Yeah, I was going to say they're like kind of fringe-ish. The, the women have – it's funny because the men and women have had kind of a similar – I know the, the men lost to Colorado at home, and that was a, considered a bad loss. But, like, both these teams have been pretty hot of late and have been pretty impressive. Um I just think it's the depth of the conference in the Pac-12. Like, I think it was slept on. Oregon beat Utah on uh, on Wednesday of this week, the women's team. Utah was 18th in the net ranking coming into that game. Like, that was a big win. That was a quad one, top 20 net ranking victory. Um, the, the, on the men's side, there aren't other te- – you've got three teams that are basically going to be resume builders in the conference right now. Yeah. And that's UCLA and USC, who Oregon has beaten twice, and that's why they're kind of where they are. And then it's Arizona. Every other win can almost be – I won't say detracting from from things, but like it doesn't you know, help. It doesn't yeah. hurt, but it doesn't help. Yeah, beating yeah. Oregon State at home isn't moving the needle this year. But beating a Utah team, no. even beating by the way, even beating USC, who was a top sixty team, is more impactful than Oregon men beating Oregon State, who you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that was like a quad two, quad three. I mean, it wasn't a particular. I mean, they were three and seventeen. So, um, so I think just. I, I'm not going to speak to who's playing hotter in March because I won't bet against Dane Altman because he's proven to do really well there. I also won't bet against Kelly Graves because he's proven really well in tournament settings. But the women will have a head start in terms of seeding. I actually, at this point, am kind of anticipating that they'll host, which is a big advantage. So I think they'll get out of that. I think they'll be at least in the Sweet 16 this year. I'm pretty confident with that, with the way they're playing, or at least they'll be positioned. The men are going to have to kind of fight and scratch their way to the finish line. The, the men have two quad three losses this season, and they've actually both come at home, which makes them even worse. Uh, Arizona State, and then they also lost most recently um, to Colorado, which was a quad three loss. They, they will have an opportunity. Um, they will have two opportunities to get wins against Washington State. While we've been recording this show, they've announced um, on – 
February 14th, the Ducks will play Washington State at 6 p.m. at Matt Nat Arena. That's a makeup game um, from a couple of weeks ago. And then they'll end the season at Washington State. And obviously things will change a lot here in the next six weeks or so. But um, Washington State is currently 38th in the net. They were 52 yesterday. Um, but by getting that win against Colorado this past weekend, for whatever reason, along with the rest of college basketball, they saw a pretty big jump. So you have an opportunity for another top 40 team, but Eric kind of played it out perfectly. Like the only other way Oregon can, can really enhance their seed right now is they've got three games outside of Washington state that will drastically impact it at Arizona, which is currently uh, number three in the net rankings. That game is in three weeks. And then you have home games in four weeks against number 10 UCLA in the net. And then you also have a game against Southern California, who's 26th in the net. Um, honestly, if, if you want to ensure that you get into the tournament and you're cut clear and dry before Vegas even starts, you got to go undefeated. You, you, it's possible. You, you do that. You go undefeated in the regular season to close things out. You're in the tournament. No questions asked. You're, you will have a C and you'll probably be like a, uh, a, a an eight or not an eight, but more like a nine, ten, or an eleven seed. Um, if if you go undefeated, and then if you win a couple games, you can maybe move up a little bit. But every game you drop, you're going to drop down another seed level. And Oregon right now is twelfth, or they're the last team out, or the, the they're the first team out of the tournament. I can't talk today. Um, so I would automatically pick Oregon, the women's side, like like you said, like they may host a game. And shoot, it, it wouldn't surprise yeah. me, Eric, if you know this better than I do. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if, if they find a way to win the league and somehow maybe put themselves into a a, a two-seed discussion. I was just thinking, and we'll get to Jerry on your pick on this, and then we can go into the golf and gotsa bowls to finish. Um, but <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm just going to keep saying that as many times. <laughs> but no, I, I was thinking about that today. If This is a huge week for the women's program because if they beat Arizona – on the road on on Friday, and that's one of the biggest games in the whole season because it's on the road. Honestly, it's probably the biggest game from a movement perspective they have. They win that game. I think they securely put them in a position because they're currently only one game out of Stanford and for the Pac-12 lead. That would put them in a spot to really make that game against Stanford at home here in a couple of weeks for the mm -hmm. conference championship, potentially. I, Stanford's been really, really good. I think that's going to be a tough game. We're going to have to play almost perfect to, to win, but – um, yeah, you're right. I mean, they have a shot to win the conference. And even if they don't win the conference, because the Pac-12 is considered one of the two best conferences in the country, they have an opportunity by even being in the discussion there to be a top three seed, top two seed. I think a one seed is off the table. There are a couple teams, um, you know, from other conferences. Stanford, I think, is pretty locked in there. But you look at NC State, you look at South Carolina, I think those teams are going to be hard to move off the one line. But Oregon has a shot to be a two seed or a three seed, which is crazy because we were saying a couple weeks ago it was like, eh, the ceiling's probably four. I, I think they've kind of yeah. played themselves up enough where you can you can have that conversation. Yeah, I mean, obviously the women's team is the easy pick here. It, they just have the most potential. Um, now that they have like their their big four, I would say, now that they're all back and healthy, um, you, know, you saw it against USC where if they start to hit shots from the perimeter – and Yara Sabali is doing her thing. They're they're a really hard team to beat. Um, 
they have some rebounding issues, but that's that's another thing. Um, and for the men's team, you know, both these teams played just so poorly in the beginning of the season that even though they're both finding their grooves right now, it's only really helping the women's team just because of how putrid the Pac-12 has been in men's okay. basketball outside okay. of the top four people, which which stinks because this was a season where, well, the Pac-12 might kind of be good. Um, Oregon State's coming off a deep tournament run, and they've really struggled, to say the least. Um Arizona State is non-existent. Um, Arizona has been a huge surprise. I, I don't think any of them really had, uh, you know, Arizona moving up to like a top five, no. top ten team in the country at the in the preseason rankings. Um, uh, UCLA has obviously been solid, but you have teams like Washington State or Colorado who kind of had a little bit of preseason buzz. It's like, well, they could be um, a contender, not for the Pac-12, but you know, just a team that might be able to make the tournament, something like that. And both of those teams have kind of fallen flat on their face and Washington, you know, as much as people who listen to this podcast might not like hearing this, you know, that's a pretty large name brand team and they've been virtually non-existent in postseason play for the last few years. And once again, that's where they are this year. Um, so that doesn't help the overall image of the PAC 12. It doesn't help Oregon when they, you know, when they beat them by a, a million points, you know, the other week, um, they just it's 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 a it's a much harder road for the men's team to really you know turn a corner here and make a big impact on their seating in the tournament you know matt outlined the two los angeles games at home and then the game at arizona um, you know oregon's already 2-0 against ucla and usc but those are two really talented teams um you know that was UCLA without UCLA and USC, excuse me, without fans. Um, this will be with fans, obviously, but it'll be a Matthew night. Um, this and for Oregon, for the men's team, uh, they are to me they're more inconsistent in play than the women's team of recent. They've both yeah. been very consistent. They've both been good, but I've had more confidence in going to a women's game where Eric and I are sitting there, and it's like, well, this should probably be a blowout. And then that act actually happening on the court where in the men's game, when I go with Matt, it's this should probably be a blowout, but it might be like a four point game with 30 seconds to play and we'll all be at the edge of our seats type of deal. So that's kind of where I see it. Um, it's good that they're both hitting their strides. though. I do think that they'll, that both teams will somehow some way sneak into the tournament, mostly the men's team in the somehow, some way. I, I agree. I, I think both will get in. Yeah. Um, I mean, Oregon, I, th I think the I, this is how I envision things playing out. I think Oregon's women's team will actually end up being a three seed um, and will be kind of a, a, a popular dark horse candidate to make the final four um, mm. out of, uh, in their in their field. I think, so. um, I, I think they're really good. I've watched a, lot, a couple of their last couple games now that they've been fully healthy. Um, and I don't watch every single game, um, but – the ones that I've watched the last three or four that they've played now that they've been fully healthy and I go back and watch the games at the beginning of the year, they are night and day better. They are, they are playing like what we all expected them to be, which was a top 10 team that, that could make the final four. Um, I think it's crazy to think about how we were both, both programs were kind of down a little bit um, in November and there was concern for both of what, boy, what's happening with this team and yeah. the women, they have flown sneakily under the radar. I don't think people realize how good they are. Like Eric mentioned 
that Utah team that they played was high in the net rankings. They, they think the Utes had like four or five losses going into that game and they had no business um, really hanging with from a pure talent perspective with Oregon. Um, they are Oregon's women's team is really, really good. The, I, I think the men, they, they close out, they have a row game this week, starting at Colorado on Thursday. That's not a must win. Um, but the Utah one on Saturday is if they lose that, you know, that probably does does them in for an at-large bid. Um, but you should win that game, and then you come back and you play a Stanford team that's got a lot of good quad one and quad two wins under their belt. They've beaten Oregon already. Um, you play Cal, then you play Washington State, and then you go on the road. I, I think to Air, the Arizona schools, um, don't need to go through the whole schedule here, but I, I think Oregon's going to do enough where they're going into Vegas – where they're looked at as maybe a 10 seed. And I think mm-hmm. maybe best case scenario, they're going to be more like a best case eight seed with the ability to play up to maybe a six. Um, or, or worst case scenario, they're going into Vegas as, an, as a 10 seed and they can maybe drop a game and, and end up playing in the playing game. All right, ready to do some golf talk, guys? Let's do it. Always. I'm going to let you guys take this away because I don't even know what the Jake is. So <laughs> so the University of Oregon uh, on Monday announced um, they are breaking ground at Emerald Valley Golf Course in Cresswell. Um, Shout out Zach Neal, Duxwire. That's right. He works there. Um, a They are building a, fo- a football, a golf facility um, named after Peter and Jan Jacobson. Um Peter is always is obviously a very famous golfer from the University of Oregon, um, and it's going to be a state of the art practice facility, uh, teaching facility. The men and the women's golf teams will use it. It'll have all the the latest technology in golf. Um, it's going to be weather protected so that the, the teams can practice there and hang out there all year round, so they can go hit golf balls on the range and be toasty and warm when it's 34 degrees outside everywhere else uh pretty pretty cool deal Six thousand square foot facility um i think the U of O tweeted out some blueprint graphics of it um they've released a couple renderings of it uh it, it's a pretty sweet pretty sweet setup um one in which any golfer in this region will be pretty jealous of that the university of oregon's athletes will get to use it are we going to start covering yeah. golf by the way, uh, it's, it's, been a, it's been like a joke of mine. I wanted to do it for a while. I'm so I'll down. Do I'll <laughs> do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is pretty sweet. Uh, it's it's great to see, you know, other Oregon athletics, you know, get this type of funding. Um, you know, you usually only see it for the the, the, the basketball programs, the football team and the track team. Um, but in the golf team, both men's and women's have been uh, pretty darn good over the last few years. Um, we all remember uh, Aaron Wise winning the yep. it was a 2016 the NCAA men's individual tournament um, at Eugene Country Club, which was pretty dope. Um, and he's he now in the PGA. You know, this is uh, this is a step forward. This is this is a good thing. Um, Emerald Valley is a nice country club as well, um, not too far from campus. But um, you know, they, the, the 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 golf program. You know, they deserve a type of environment like this. And with with Oregon and the, the resources that they have and the allocations that they can provide. Um, this is a great step up for them. Uh, it's going to attract a lot of golf recruits here. Um, this is a, you know, despite the weather, this is an area of the country where you can theoretically play year round. Um, and that should, you know, attract enough people to come to Oregon, especially given, 
uh, a little bit of their history and what they can offer a recruit um, to go out and, and, you know, think about coming to Oregon and, uh, as opposed to going to, you know, one of the Southern California schools or Arizona or Arizona State. Um, so I think this puts them in, in contention with that. Um, a lot of cool information about the Jake that just um, Oregon released like a press, a press release earlier today about it. Um, looks state of the art. It's exactly what you need in golf nowadays with all the advanced analytics and numbers that people will throw at you. Um, it looks like they're ready to ready to do that and ready to start getting ready. That's the questions, folks. We we, we cover it all here. On- we, always. We, we really do. This is probably the largest. No, of no baseball questions again. This is tough. Come on, <laughs> people. Right. Not baseball season yet, Jared. Jared, I'll use my burner account to ask a baseball question next week. How's that sound? We're not Which supposed one are your to burner say accounts? all these questions are from our burners. Come on. You're not supposed to release that information. <laughs> no wonder Ducks for Quacks is your favorite, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. That's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. And uh, thank you for everyone who, yes, everyone that did submit a question was a real live human being. <laughs> they sent those questions in. We appreciate it. Uh, and until we come back with you later this week, um, probably with a signing day recap or maybe a preview. We'll figure that out here uh, off air. Until then, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.